Welcome to Shared Insights, the podcast from BA Insight. My name is Pete Wright, and I'm joined today by Sam Marshall. Sam is owner of Clearbox Consulting, where he's specialized in intranets and the digital workplace for nearly two decades. Today, he works on digital workplace strategy and the business side of Office 365. He's the lead author of the annual SharePoint Intranets in a Box report, and he's here today to talk to us about the employee experience in the digital workplace, diagnosing enterprise search, and the people challenges you might run into along the way. Welcome, Sam. Thank you, Pete. Great to be here. Thanks for inviting me onto the podcast. Well, it's great to have you here. I'd like to start at, at the 30,000-foot view. You say you start your digital workplace projects with a town planning metaphor. Tell us a story behind that. Yeah, so when the term digital workplace first came about, people, I think, were, were struggling a little bit because they knew it was bigger than, say, an intranet, which a lot of our clients have been focusing on. And yet, it could potentially be your entire IT strategy. And that sounded like a, a land grab, a political move that nobody wanted to get into. So we said, well, no, visualize this as being more like town planning. We're not saying that you're going to bulldoze your whole town and build something completely new. Instead, what we're trying to get our heads around is the fact that we need to look beyond the individual elements of a digital workplace. So it's not just the internet, it's not just maybe your enterprise social network or indeed the the search elements. It's about thinking through how the pieces fit together into a cohesive experience. So a nicely designed town, it will flow from maybe a recreation area through to the place where people do their work through to the cafes and bars where they do their recreation. And in the same way, you get a good employee experience by having that flow across your digital workplace where sometimes you want the intensive meeting spaces, sometimes you want more open incidental discovery of maybe new ideas coming from the the further reaches of your organization. So we we came up with this map. and I think we'll put a link into the podcast if we can, please, Pete, to, sure, to show what course. the map looks like. <laughs> but in it, we've got like a, a factory representing your hardcore business applications, maybe your SAP or your production planning and your employee services, like booking a meeting room or checking on your vacation. We've got an airport saying that the agile working piece, the mobile workers and being productive anytime, any place matters. We've got a, a library representing finding and sharing. We've got a building site representing collaboration that might be big-scale project planning where you've got loads of Gantt charts. But outside that building site is a couple of guys talking about a blueprint. So a lot of the time, collaboration is that much more informal, quick question, quick sense check type discussion. And lastly, we've got a cafe representing communication and engagement where people are, are sat outside having conversations, much as you would like um, within a digital workplace, have maybe a, a social area where you're um, checking people are okay and giving feedback and sharing ideas without lots of structure and constraints around it. And what we're saying then is you always have a digital workplace. You always have a town and the strategy piece is saying, what's our destination or our trajectory? Where are we heading to? And if we've got an empty space in our town, we've got choices about which direction we take it in. So if we want to be a center of industry, we might build a chip fabrication plant. But if we want to be a tourist town, we don't want an extra factory. What we want is maybe theatres or something that would attract people to come to us as a destination. You develop as the opportunities arise, but you plan cohesively saying, how does this fit with all the other elements? So coming back to what I was saying, it's not a land grab for all of IT. It's about saying, if we centre our thoughts on employee experience, 
how do we guide our decisions about every development opportunity that comes along and keep refreshing what happens? And then I guess the other side is to say, once you've built your town, you've got to run the thing. So you need to think about day-to-day street cleaners and policing and managing the traffic. And if you built a park, then you've got to resource the park cleaners and the park maintenance staff. So there's a whole flip side, the uh, the soft side, which is the, the people, the governance, and the operations side of it. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about how you, how the the metaphor itself is is received from the business process folks, the business units or administrative folks versus the IT folks. How do you approach this conversation as you're looking at building your town of your digital workplace? Yeah, so I, I find it unlocks a conversation with the business folk pretty well because you can latch onto the town metaphor and you can talk about what you want without worrying about how it's actually delivered. And it gets away the con- from the, the technology start point of saying, ha, huh, we've already got Office 365, what are we going to do with it? And much more towards what experience do we want? And then right now, how can we deliver it or what changes do we need to make? And the, the business folks, particularly uh, within our town, there's some parkland and we're saying, you know, maybe you zone this green space and you want healthier citizens. Let's maybe do some soccer coaching to get them using it. And in our digital workplace, the parallel is saying, well, let's say we've created this enterprise social network. What do you as leaders need to do to, to model the behavior you want to see? What kind of coaching takes place there to bring this facility to life? And often what happens is that in those conversations, someone says, oh, gosh, yes, because you know, we've rolled out all these technologies in the past, but we've never really shown people how we expected them to be used. We've never actually steered the behavior on top of the tech rollout. It's always been about switching on the, the buttons. And, and that's good because it shifts the conversation much more towards the outcomes that you're looking for rather than the inputs of the infrastructure. I'm fascinated by the idea of sitting down and looking at this map because when you see that, for example, this park uh, is right in the middle of your digital uh, sort of town, I would imagine you make different decisions about how you go about changing your park. Or, you you know, you might suddenly decide once you see that this park is right in the middle of your town, you might decide, hey, we're not going to replatform here because the implications of bulldozing that park are bigger than we may be considering if we just look at this as an IT project. Yeah, that's right. So uh, to an IT person, that might be uh, empty land to build on. And to a a business person, that might be the the heart of everything that you're doing. Um, uh, And we had that, you know, so we, we do a lot of consulting work where we'll do a digital workplace strategy review for a client and feed back to them what we see as the main opportunities that will push them forward in terms of the business goals, first of all. And often that's saying, let's just use the technology that you have already. So one large company, they were gearing up for a SharePoint upgrade. And we said, just delay that project for a year. Having new SharePoint won't do anything to fix what we're hearing from your employees, which is that they can't find stuff. Yeah. Not because SharePoint's out of date, but because actually the stuff that they're looking for isn't in there or the 17 copies of the same file and they don't know which one to trust. So if you do an upgrade, all your energy will go into that, whereas put your energy instead into the data cleansing, into actually improving behaviors around your information and hygiene rather than the technology. 
Well, this gets us into our next topic here, diagnosing enterprise search. And, you know, when you talk about kind of figuring out and delivering the news that, hey, yeah, you have a search problem, not necessarily a platform problem. Tell me a story of how that works for you. Yeah. So, uh, again, a link that we can provide is that we did a, a pretty simple search diagnostic tool. And I'm sure for regular listeners of the BA Insight, um, it, it might seem a, a little bit too elementary and that they'd add loads of detail. But what I was trying to do was say to maybe digital workplace managers, internet owners, people who are not hardcore search people, it's too easy to, to blame the technology or search engine for not finding stuff. And actually, a lot of the root causes are cultural or governance or content issues. And you can do something about those. You don't need to wait for the budget for a new search engine because um, we broke it down to, to basically four underlying factors. So those are content, the indexing, the retrieval, and issues with the, the search result presentation. And if you think about it, that's almost like the, the journey a user goes through. So the content gets, gets uploaded, then gets indexed by the search engine. Someone puts a query in to retrieve it, and then they browse the results and hopefully click on something. But when they complain, they can't find it. They don't click on things. Mm-hmm. And then we colored like a, a diagnostic tree of what's going on here. So it might be they don't find something because they see the search results page, um, but they don't trust it because there isn't metadata to say this is the current version or this is the version about an HR policy that's actually been approved by HR rather than one that might have been uploaded in a, a local business that looks like a copy of something from five years ago. And when we did that, actually, a good two-thirds of what was colored in wasn't a technical issue at all. Uh, I would say most of it is actually about the attitude to information in the organization and actually prioritizing making things findable rather than due diligence of putting it on there. Many years ago, I was talking to an internet manager and he was saying, oh, we get loads of complaints about our search engine. Just this morning, um, someone was saying to me that, that they spent ages creating a, a, a paternity leave policy and it wasn't showing up in the search engine. They blamed the search engine. And uh, he said, when I talked to this person, actually, the page they created, it was in really friendly English. It was like, oh, going to be a dad, having a baby. Here's what you might need to know. Nowhere on the page did it say paternity leave or policy. (laughs) You know, none of the actual keywords (laughs) or metadata that would give that poor search engine a fighting chance, let alone the end user, (laughs) was on the page. But in their head, it was the paternity leave policy. So that's (laughs) what they thought was on there. And that's the jump, isn't it? You know, if you're a website owner, you you know all about SEO. You spend ages optimizing your keywords and your sub uh, subheadings and so on to make them findable. Somehow we don't cultivate that mindset in the enterprise so well to say, what are the words that people might use to look for my content rather than what are the words that we as professionals in HR, finance, IT that might use to describe it because they're often very different. So as someone who works in this space with companies who have these problems, I mean, in particular, these content quality issues, right? Yeah. These user training issues. How do you go about starting that conversation to get users interested in helping you help themselves? Do you know what I mean? This is a Jerry Maguire thing, man. Help me help you. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's going to be part of your job satisfaction, really, hasn't it? I mean, I pick on HR because it's a kind of universal example, but it applies to anybody who offers a, a service inside an organization. You get into that role because you, you want to help people. You want to 
um, create a good employee experience, I would hope. So when you say to them, look, you spent ages crafting this really attractive page on your internet or this uh, really good section in the, the mobile app, let's have a look at the analytics first of all. Oh, nobody's really using this. You know, what, what level of visits would you expect? And they say, oh, well, you know, it should be about three times higher. Okay, well, let's have a look at some of the root causes back to that diagnostic tool. Let's have a look at some of the root causes about why this might be happening. Have you thought about using different titles? Let's have a look at what people are searching for right now. Things are looking for holidays rather than leave or vacation rather than leave. So let's make sure that the word vacation appears on the page. And sometimes we just run like um, one day workshops writing for online content because you don't get trained in this at school. No. Nobody says what makes a web page different from that 2,000 word, 10,000 word dissertation that you had to write to get your degree. And yet these are the skills that are relevant to the digital age. But also, Closing that feedback loop, I think it's really important that if you are a content owner in the digital workplace, you also get good analytics that tell you um, how you're performing as an owner. And, you know, uh, on Twitter, everybody loves likes. On Facebook, everybody loves the comments. People are really motivated when you close that loop uh, on enterprise content and say the same. Hey, your uh, the traffic to your page that you own has got a, a lot more reaction than last month's do more of whatever it was you did to, to drive that traffic. And you get a chance to uh, like the paternity leave policy. Hey, that's a great paternity leave Ooh, policy. Yeah. Right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, I'm, I am given to think about some of the very, very large, uh, you know, companies we've talked about even on this show, millions and millions of documents that, you know, may be sort of struggling to go through that, uh, that process, that sort of content process and say, hey, there's some really good stuff out there that we just can't find. Can we count on the robots to take over all this? I mean, if I buy Office 365, isn't there, won't Cortana do all the work? Oh, <laughs> uh, I wish. Uh- Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I wish Alexa would just tie my chips when they're in the oven for me because uh, she gets right. it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> chatbots, particularly enterprise chatbots, are, are getting an awful lot of attention right now, which is kind of ironic because chatbots for websites seem to be uh, into the um, into the dip of uh, lower expectations if you look at the hype cycle. But in the workplace, we're still really excited about them. What we're forgetting is that most of the time. These chatbot interfaces are really not that smart, and they are just a different interface to the search box. All it's doing is taking a natural language and then submitting your query into the same search engine. So if you can't get the results you want from Elastic or Solar or whatever you're using for your search box, then a chatbot won't do any better than you will as a human. But Sam, I can yell at it. (laughs) That is a different experience. You can search in uppercase if you want, Pete. You can yell <laughs> into your search box. <laughs> you know, that's fair. That's fair. I could go, go old school. Yeah. But still, th- there's definitely a case for the discovery side of search with some of these bots. So to me, the really strong use case is in something like a Slack or a Microsoft Teams where you're in a discussion forum and you put out that appeal saying, does anybody know where I can find a template for bids to our customers. And you could wait for 12 hours until someone picks that up and gives you the answer. Or you could have a chatbot that says, oh, actually, we answered that question a month ago. Here's the link. Does this help you? And you say yes, and that reinforces for the chatbot that's a good link to to give next time. So it's that personal assistant type of role 
that I think does have a place to play when we maybe forget that search could help us and go back to asking Harry on the next desk if he can help us instead. It seems, again, that you're talking about a a cultural challenge, too, a human challenge to be able to adopt uh, new ways of interacting with search and findability. Uh, You know, are are people in your experience when you're working with your clients, when you're presenting, are you getting the sense that enterprises are are, and, and employees are actually adopting this stuff yet? Is it or are we still sort of on the bleeding edge? The message I'm trying to get across is that the new technologies, mobile, social, AI, and so on, really, really potentially powerful, but we still need to do some groundwork. As humans, it's still our information. They're not going to overnight solve the problems. So when I talk to organizations that are maybe getting excited about some of these, I'm trying to remind them that, yes, you can build your museums and your factories in your town, but you're still going to have the park keepers, you're still going to have the policemen, you're still going to have the, the road sweepers. So how is that bit going to work so that the employee experience is joined up again? Otherwise, I, I think it would be a real, real shame if in three years' time the attitude was, oh, we tried a workplace chatbot and people used it for a few weeks, but when it gave terrible results, we just moved back to doing what we always used to do. Because that's a missed opportunity to, to apply these new technologies well. You really need to do the groundwork and say, if we want this outcome, maybe better discovery or people uh, find the forms that they need more readily, what are all the dependent steps? What are the possible breakpoints that we need to get uh, aligned before we switch that on? Notwithstanding the fact that this is an evolutionary process, right, attempting to change the way your search works and the way your humans interact with your search is evolutionary, not overnight. Can you give us a, a just a thumbnail sketch of how long it might take for a, a company of a, of a certain size to actually see substantive results in the way uh, they work? How long does it take? What does that look like? It's, it's, it's an everlasting process, though, isn't it? Uh, I really like Agile and I talk a lot to clients about Agile and if they're not used to it, they still say, yeah, yeah we, Agile sounds great, Sam. So when will it all be finished? Right, right. Those things, <laughs> those, that's a high jump, low ceiling. They don't go together. It, when, when will your town be finished? Right. You know, when will you stop evolving <laughs> your town and say, well, yeah, you know, you can stop working on this when your company stops evolving and you stop recruiting people and everything stays the same. It's much more about saying, what are achievable goals over the next time period? And Agile talks about sprints, or people just talk about time boxing, but saying, yeah, maybe every three months we should aim to implement a change, get feedback on that change, and then decide, that was great, let's scale up and do more of it, or that didn't really seem to land right. No worries, we didn't spend too much money on it. Let's try a different route or try the next thing in our product backlog. Maybe that's now a higher priority. So releasing early, sensing, getting feedback, same as I was saying before about getting the analytics, responding to that and doing the next step is absolutely the same, is absolutely the, the thing to do when you're evolving this. Sometimes, though, you know, um, a lot of organizations are carrying a, a technology debt. They haven't invested. Now employees are saying, God, this is crazy. At home, I feel so empowered by my technology. I can do all kinds of great things with my devices, with file sharing, with my friends. We've got this really lively WhatsApp community. I come to work and it feels like I'm firing up my 
Commodore Amiga and I'd got to wait a week to get a message back from people. <laughs> Why do you make me suffer like this? And then, yes, you've got to invest to catch up on that technology desk. And with the big organizations we work with, you know, tens of thousands of employees, realistically, you, you probably need about 18 months to, to plan and execute something that does a big step forward and then get into that agile iterative mode. Boy, I, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up the Google problem that you write about in this Diagnosing Enterprising Search uh, article, which we'll put in the show notes. That's, it, it it's almost uh, gets to that expectations gap, too, that you're talking about. I may not be carrying cassette tapes back and forth between decks for my Commodore, but, uh, <laughs> but I certainly do come to work uh, expecting things to just work like Google. Uh, and as you say, it doesn't. It, it doesn't for, for many good reasons. Um, Google probably has a bigger search budget than your enterprise search team. So that helps a lot. But fundamentally, it comes back to what I was saying earlier, that people who post content for Google to find really, really work to, to make it easy for Google to index it and come up high in the search ranks. People who post content on intranets, in document management systems, on social networks, don't put that legwork in to, to think about the retrieval scenario or the findability scenario three months or even a year down the line. So that's the gap that we've got to close. The range of people who might put that content onto it is, is far smaller behind the firewall. There might only be one person who's an expert in breeding of goats in your company. So if they don't create the page, it will never be found. Outside your company, there might be hundreds of people who are willing to create that content. So somewhere that page will exist for Google to find it. That's that's a big, big difference between internal and external search. I have put links to both of these two resources uh, on in the show notes uh, for this very episode. Where else would you like to send people to get to know a little bit more about you and your work? A lot more about our digital workplace framework and that town planning is at clearbox.co.uk. So that's C-L-E-A-R-B-O-X.co.uk. And I also tweet regularly at Sam Marshall, so just my name, Sam Marshall. And uh, yeah, underneath the Clearbox website, you'll also find my blog posts ranging all the way from yak cheese pizza, passing search every so often, and a lot about employee experience in the digital workplace too. Come for the digital workplace, stay for the pizza, as they <laughs> say about Sam Marshall. Thank you so much for joining us, Sam. It's been a treat talking to you. I hope you'll come back. It was a great pleasure. Thank you very much for having me on again, Pete. Cheers. And thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to this show. You can learn more about us at bainsight.com, where you can subscribe to the show for free in your favorite podcast app. Thanks, everybody. On behalf of Sam and BA Insight, I'm Pete Wright. We'll catch you next time right here on Shared Insights. Thank you.